The text for our sermon tonight is 1 Thessalonians 5.18. In all things, give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus toward you. Well, our outline this evening will follow the words of the text. Number one, in all things. Number two, give thanks. And thirdly, it is God's will. In all things. Question 26 is my absolute favorite question of the Heidelberg Catechism. When I returned home from the mission field, I needed pretty serious medical attention, but I was not aware of it at the time. Just as I was finishing up training for a job, my hip broke. As it turned out, I had a benign tumor that had eaten up the head of my left femur. I always told the doctor, I'm glad that it was benign. I'd hate to think what it would have done to me if it weren't. I had been walking on a fractured hip for months, and this job that I was going to start was supposed to provide airfare money for my wife and kids. As I ended up stranded in the healthcare system without a job, without health coverage, needing an operation that would cost untold thousands of dollars, my wife and kids were stranded overseas. And this situation lasted for two and a half years. I I can't tell you how hard it was. For the longest time, we communicated by text messages, and this was back in the days of the prepaid phone cards, so I'd load $10 onto my phone and ration out those texts with extreme prejudice. Never a frivolous text. And then Skype came along, but then it was a CD that you had to install on your computer, so very few people had it. Caleb's going, yeah, I remember that. I had a friend that had Skype, so we would set up times for me to use his computer at odd hours of the day because my family and I were separated by a 14-hour time difference. So my wife and kids couldn't come with me to doctor's visits or to be with me during surgery or while I was getting chemo, and I couldn't be with them when my wife's little brother died. As I said, I cannot tell you how hard it was to not be able to hold my wife and kids. It was murder. It was murder. The only thing that gave me comfort throughout the whole ordeal was the truth that we're taught in question 26, especially the last half of the answer, which reads, I have no doubt, but that He will provide me with all things necessary for body and soul, and further, that whatever evils He sends upon me in this valley of tears, He will turn it to my good. For he is able to do so, being Almighty God, and willing also, being a faithful Father. There is no comfort like the comfort of knowing that all things come from the hand of your Heavenly Father. It declaws the sharpest adversity. The unpleasantness of anything is tempered when you know that it comes from the hand of someone that loves you, and that it comes for a very good reason. You don't even have to understand what that reason is to know that. If God, who spared not His own Son, is who sent it, then it must be a manifestation of His eternal love. And for that reason, it's something for which you can be thankful. Indeed, it's something for which you should be thankful. Now, the reason I chose that example is because it's exactly the kind of thing that we pass over when we think about thankfulness. We don't lose sleep over good things when they happen to us, even when we can't explain that. If you've received a surprise check in the mail for $1,000, you're not going to lie awake at night asking yourself, why did this happen to me? I don't understand it. Who would do this? 
No, you'll just enjoy it and say, to whom, thanks to whomever you are, kind stranger. Hopefully, we'll meet one day and I can thank you in person, but if not, it'll have to wait to heaven. It's only when bad things happen, and by bad, we mean things that are unpleasant to us. It's only when they happen that we question why. Now, the Bible's answer is very counterintuitive. The Bible's answer is, why not? Why shouldn't this thing happen to you? If we were to judge strictly by your merit, do you deserve, don't you deserve adversity? Do you deserve better? Will you dare look God's law in the eye and say that you don't deserve trouble? It's not a pretty answer by any stretch, but it's honest and fair. Adversity is all that we actually deserve. Anything good is a gift of pure grace. When we forget this, we become ungrateful and start acting like the rioting thugs that tear up a store when the snap system crashes. You know, we've been working through the, the book of Job on Sundays, and the greatest picture, I think, in the Bible of gratitude is to be seen when Job loses everything. He says, Shall we indeed accept good from God, and shall we not accept adversity? The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In other words, the only time we got what we deserved is now that we got adversity. All the other good things were blessings beyond our deserts. And therefore, all of it, good and bad, are things for which we can be thankful. They have equally come from the hand of a God who loves us. Our text commands us to have this, this same posture of gratitude about all things. Well, let's not kid ourselves. It isn't easy. And that leads us to our second point. You've probably heard the term Pollyanna. It's a derogatory term generally used to describe someone who's a bit too optimistic, someone who's irresponsibly happy, happy because they're blissfully ignorant of the real seriousness of their situation. The term, though, comes from a wonderful children's book written in 1913 called Pollyanna. It's the story of an 11-year-old orphan girl who's sent to live with her Aunt Polly in Vermont. Her aunt is a spinster who is very stern and very cold. She really doesn't want to take Pollyanna in, but she feels a sense of duty to her late sister. And as you can imagine, since her help is given grudgingly, She's not very pleasant to be around. Most of the household spends its time avoiding her. Now, Pollyanna's parents were missionaries. And life for missionaries in the 19th century was especially hard. I mean, you've heard of care packages, I'm sure. But often the care packages missionaries got were full of things that should have just been thrown away. Missionaries were treated as beggars, and as we all know, beggars can't be choosers. Pollyanna's father taught her a game, and he called it the glad game, which consisted of finding something to be happy about, to be thankful for, in every situation. And he, he tells her it's a practical application of our text. In everything, give thanks. The game originated one Christmas when Pollyanna was hoping for a doll in the Christmas barrel, which was the 19th century care package. But instead of a doll for Christmas, she got a pair of crutches. And at her father's prodding, she sought for a reason to be thankful. 
And in this case, Pollyanna thought that she could be glad, that she could be thankful, that she didn't need crutches. Soon after this, her mother died, and the glad game helped her cope with her mother's death. And so this game became a part of Pollyanna's life. A couple years later, her father died, and that's why she ended up living with her aunt in Vermont. Pollyanna became very attached to the glad game, and she became very good at it. It was, in a a real sense, it was all that her parents had left her. Being good at the game was a way to honor their memory. And throughout the story, Pollyanna's attitude, a result of this game, transforms her aunt's home and the dismal New England town into a very pleasant place to live. The glad game shields her from her aunt's stern attitude. One time, her aunt put her in a a stuffy attic room with no carpets or pictures. But Pollyanna finds out there's a window with a beautiful view of the garden, and so she's thankful. Another time, her aunt tries to punish her for being late to dinner by sentencing her to a meal of bread and milk in the kitchen with the servant Nancy. And Pollyanna thanks her joyfully because she likes bread and milk, and she especially likes Nancy. Well, as you can see, of course, that the way our society uses Pollyanna as a slur is way off top uh, target, way out of line. Pollyanna isn't blissfully ignorant of her situation. She knows more pain than most of us. She lost both of her parents by the time she was 11. She wasn't irresponsibly happy. She was happy in spite of her pain. She is a great character. She is a living embodiment of our text in literally everything, from receiving a pair of crutches for Christmas to losing her parents to being locked away in the attic. She finds something for which she can be thankful. And because of her thankful attitude, she is happy, always happy. She doesn't secretly break down when no one is looking. Gratitude makes life a lot better. And why shouldn't it? Every good thing we receive comes from God's hands. And the truth is, we don't deserve any of it. Surely there's a a reason to be thankful for anything good that comes into our lives. And we have reason to be thankful even for the bad things that come because they could have been a lot worse. A common refrain of the Old Testament saints is, the Lord has not paid us back as our sins deserve. There's, you know, there's something odd about fallen human nature, that the more benefits it receives, the less gratitude it feels. We often hear the word entitlement, and I, I think that those, some of the social programs are actually a good example of this point. No one actually deserves SNAP benefits, for instance. It's perhaps kind of the state to make them available, but they're not an intrinsic right. But once people become accustomed to them, receiving A cut in the benefit amount or a disruption of the system is often the occasion of a riot. The great Civil War era Southern Presbyterian preacher Robert Dabney pointed this out, and he actually gives a challenge. He said, if you don't believe me, try this. Send a neighbor of yours a quarter of mutton as a present. This was his example. You know that he'll return to you his hearty thanks. Wow, thank you so much. That was very kind of you. And then Dabney challenges, do it every week for three months, and then skip two weeks and see what happens. You know as well as I do that he will feel as though you have robbed him of a right, and he may very well tell you so. 
We often treat God in the same thankless way. We receive benefits from Him so regularly that receiving them becomes a habit. And then the impression that the blessing makes becomes less and less the more habitual that they seem. So instead of begetting a greater sense of gratitude, the greater the blessings become, it actually runs the other way. The result is that our sense of obligation is deadened. Indifference to God's love grows out of continued prosperity. We have so much choice and selection. And we're used to generally always getting what we want. And there's something about that that breeds a sense of ingratitude. When you go to the store, find what you're looking for, purchase it, and go home, you're generally not thankful because this is what you expected. I'm supposed to find what I'm looking for at the store. Why is that something to be thankful for? That's what stores are supposed to do, right? So if you go to the store and they don't have what you wanted, there's almost a subconscious reaction, like, I ain't shopping there no more. And that reaction is a result of years and years of always getting what we want without difficulty. And I don't think this is an exaggeration. Does anything characterize our nation as much as ingratitude? Everyone has houses, multiple cars, enough food to have weight problems. We have technical gadgets that everyone lived without a couple decades ago. Many of us have high-end recreational toys like RVs and boats, and we have enough time to enjoy these things. Now, you'd think people with all these things would be the most, would be the happiest, most grateful people outside of heaven. And yet suicide numbers steadily climb every year. The drug, alcohol, and pornography addiction statistics would curl your hair. And on top of that, half the population needs antidepressants just to function. And this is all a result of ingratitude. Happiness is the instant effect of being thankful. When a person is not thankful, they soon become bitter. And then it doesn't matter how many things they possess. People are running around now saying, make America great again. And I'm thinking it'd be better if we could make America grateful again. Finally, God's will. The final words of our text tell us that it is God's will that we be thankful in all things. A lot of people run around thinking, I, I, you know, I just, I wish I knew what God's will was for me. What do I do in this situation? Well, our text tells us that it's God's will that we be thankful in whatever situation we find ourselves in. Both capitalism and communism create a skewed view of the world. They both act as if there's only so much to go around. Both systems forget that God owns the earth and all of its bounties. God owns the cattle on a thousand hills, and He disposes His good gifts however He pleases. The universe isn't a zero-sum game. Just because one person has something doesn't mean there's less for you. In God's economy, he who gathered much had nothing left over, and he who gathered little had no lack. It's God's will that we always remember that He is the source of all that we have. Are we so used to getting what we want that we're no longer grateful for the things that others do without? If we're constantly looking inward to ourselves, we become fixated on the idea that we deserve more. And when we think we deserve more than we have, we can't, we won't be grateful for what we do have. 
We'll never be thankful for what we have when all we can see is what we think we've been deprived of. When someone else has something that you don't have, that isn't a crime against you. Someone else has a bigger house than you. He didn't steal it from you to get it. Someone else is rich and you're not. He's not wronging you. Someone else is a man and you're a woman. He's not wronging you. You're a child and they're adults. They're not wronging you. Someone comes from a class that has historic privileges. He's not wronging you. So someone else lives a carefree life and you're usually cooped up nursing a cold or a sore throat. He's not wronging you. We could do this all night and the results will always be the same. Thanksgiving for what you actually have is the key to escaping the prison of discontent. God created these distinctions. He gave some men healthy bodies and minds, and He's withheld those blessings from others. Some men are born with sight. Others are born blind. Some live in the lap of luxury. Others struggle to make ends meet. Some are masters. Others are servants. Some are bosses. Some are employees. Some are parents. Some are children. When we try to level the field and do away with the distinctions that God has made, we end up making gratitude impossible. We can't see what we have to be thankful for. All we can see is what someone else has. So whenever we look inward, we're turning our eyes away from God's creation, and the result is ingratitude. We lose sight of the greatness of all of God's blessings, whether the blessings of salvation, of family and friends, or material goods. True biblical gratitude sees God's good hand in everything, whether it be justification from sin, a loving family, some money in the bank, another head of cattle, or a nice medium-rare porterhouse steak. Think back to Job's situation. One of the things that we see there is that God uses adversity to bring us back to an attitude of thankfulness. When things roll along smoothly, We get so accustomed to God's goodness that it stops affecting us like it should. He does something nice for us. Thank you very much, dear Lord. He does something nice again. Thank you very much. He does something nice again. Thank you. He does something nice again. Thanks. He does something nice yet again. It's about time. When things take an unpleasant turn, however, we learn to appreciate the good again. Proverbs 27, 7 says, one who is full loathes honey, but to one who is hungry, everything bitter is sweet. Good things are appreciated against the backdrop of unpleasant things. When we get good things, good things, good things, good things, good things, good things nonstop, it's very easy to grow used to them and forget that we don't deserve them, that they are gifts from God. Unpleasant things, unfortunately and fortunately, refocus our eyes on this truth. In conclusion, our text is a call to view everything as God's good gifts. And therefore, we're grateful for rain or drought, fruitful and barren years, wealth and poverty, or whatever our lot in this world is. And we are as grateful for those things as we are for our mansion just over the hilltop. Let us pray.